everyone and welcome to the Two Cents Footy podcast with me Jeff and JP and we're on episode number 18. Uh, we're going to be continuing with our Euro 2024 countdown uh, with a review of the final team in Group B. It's Albania and uh, yeah as, as kind of big England fans we're continuing our countdown on who England may face you never ever know uh, and that's where Albania fits in. Also, we'll be covering a listener question. So, uh, yeah, first of all, uh, Albania, they are kind of the underdog in Group B. I think that's not a misstatement. Um, did valiantly well to qualify uh, for the tournament um, with some good results. We've gone against the Czech Republic and Poland. And they find themselves in the so-called Group of Death against Spain, Italy and Croatia. And uh, yeah, let's uh, start with our bookies. So JP, uh, how big are the odds for Albania to win Euro 2024? Yeah, so I think so far they're probably the worst odds out of any team we've we've looked at so far. So they're 22nd favourites to win based on the, the odd values given, which I don't know, it's maybe perhaps slightly harsh when we've already looked at the likes of Scotland <laughs> in there. <laughs> Another yeah, dig at Scotland. <laughs> but um, yeah, 22nd. So, but, I mean, for a team that finished top of their group in Euro in the qualifiers, maybe slightly harsh, but I mean, you can see where, where they're coming from. Um, so yeah, 22nd uh, um, favourites. Um, got a fella called... Lavinio as their manager and interesting fact Jeff Pablo Zabletta as an assistant coach believe it or not I would never have guessed how do they end up there yeah good question it seems like they've well the manager's Brazilian obviously Zabletta's Argentinian so it looks like Albania's being um, taken over or run by South Americans <laughs> at the moment <laughs> uh, but Yes, a, a little bit of pedigree in the in the ranks at Albania at the moment. So maybe that's a, a good sign. Um, a little bit around Slovenia, because I've never, never, never really heard of him before. He actually has had a bit of um, a run in the Premier League before with Arsenal um, as a player. Um, Barcelona and Man City. So um, as a uh, player, he's had a bit of experience amongst the top teams and he's actually won the champions league i believe with with barcelona so um a fair amount of decent um playing experience uh what i would say from what i researched i'd say slightly less experience in terms of managerial career um i think it was corinthians in the south american league oh i forgot who else it might have been like uh, let, I can't remember, but there was an, there was another team in there as well. But um, and now he's now he's landed himself in, in the Albanian squad. Um, but uh, yeah, fifty five percent win uh rate with with Albania, and he took um on Albania from the start of last year. So he's only really had well less than a dozen games with them. But um, so. Reasonable win percentage, I think, for for a team with, like Albania, where they're not sort of really considered, um, I'd say, someone that you'd expect to see in the in the in the Euros. So, um, that's a, a fairly good win percentage. How about how about you, Jeff? 
They're going to get knocked out in the first round, so yeah. <laughs> but no, oh, but yeah, to be fair, good, good pedigree manager. He actually managed Leon. That was his first. That's the one. I knew it began with an L. <laughs> and you're right, yeah, the, to be fair, you know, we could dismiss them uh, as I tried to just do, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> good, as you said, at home win record. Um, very good kind of goal rate actually in the qualifiers to be honest um, and yeah passing rate that they actually have very solid defense they could be a bit of a spoiled sport in terms of mm. knocking one of the other teams or being in a third place position where they just need four points so one win one draw yeah i mean one th- and also i think sort of prior to the Euro qualification in the World Cup qualification, they were in actually in England's group, um, and they finished third, just narrowly behind Poland. I think yeah. we obviously walked it. Well, <laughs> we qualified fairly comfortably. Poland were then, I think, on a like eighteen or twenty points, and then Albania were literally like two points behind. So I think you know they're a bit of a they're a bit of a banana skin side. I think. That have they have a little bit of potential in them, um, but yeah, I think the one thing I saw picked up is like something you just said is they're generally pretty good at home. Um, I do remember when England went there in the uh, World Cup qualifiers, they did tend to struggle. Um, it, I remember it being a very one of those real boring games. It's quite a hostile environment, and I think sort of the the Albania sides probably feed feed off that a little bit. But I mean, <laughs> when you sort of compare their um, win record in the qualifications to, say, the likes of a Spain or or in England, their their win was they won four, drew three, and and lost one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, it's it's not really the best ratio, or the best ratio to get through on a qualification. Um, it seems a bit bit mediocre um but yeah i mean i guess you can't sort of really turn your nose up at three nil against czech republic and a two nil against poland but then I, I would probably argue they're probably not the sides that they used to be 100 percent, yeah i mean the aging side although you know, again poland you would expect them to, to be still very competitive czech republic not the same what it used to be uh is there any key standout players that you identified who play for? Um, yeah, the one that sort of stood out to me, sort of looking back on some of their results, was a player called Asani. Yeah. Um, seems to be um, a player that has the ability to score from range. Scored a few crackers in qualification. Um, but funnily enough, he actually plays in the K League. Uh, with a team called uh, Gwangju, uh, I think it is, or something like that. Um, and so it's not not one of the big sort of major leagues, but obviously he can score in the big occasions because he scored both his crackers against Poland and, and Czech Republic. Um, so he's probably one to watch out for. Um, I think sort of defensively, when we've seen Albania do quite well and they seem to be a bit more solid, a player called Jim Jim City or something like that. He plays for Atalanta, so he does play in sort of like the big 
European Champions League games. And I think he's probably the focal point in their sort of back line that keeps them solid and organised. Um, I think the one player, I think the one player, and it's a bit of a trend I think we've kind of said throughout most teams, is they probably lack a bit of a goal scorer, although they have Asani. However, I do think there is a silver lining with Albania. I think uh, Armando Brogia, um, who is Albanian, who's just come back from cruciate ligament, who's obviously in the Chelsea squad, um, literally this week's gone on loan to Fulham. And so I think if he, he, if he can get himself fit playing every week, I think he could be, he could be a huge difference for Albania. I, I rate him quite a lot. I think he's a super talented player and he could be an excellent goal scorer. So I think that's a bit of a watch, watch this space for Albania. Um, but how about you? Um, just one. I mean, it, it, Ernest Mucky. It's hard to say it. Uh, plays for Legia Wazawa uh, <laughs> in Warsaw. Uh, Twenty-two years old, quite young, um, tall guy, and he has a goal ratio to point three every ninety minutes, uh, and a good kind of assist ratio as well. So, you know, they they seem to have him as a bit of a focal point. Uh, and yeah, obviously quite an experienced, um, much more experienced goalkeepers, uh, good managers, we said. Uh, but having said that, I mean, do you think they could compete with a Rodri, Spain, or Immobiles, Italy? Um, I mean... Thinking, I mean, thinking back to sort of watching um, England play them a couple of years ago, and when we beat them five nil, and that was a five nil in the first half. I do think if they come up against a, a top tier nation where they they sort of step up a gear and it's that real sort of quick dynamic movements, I think Albania will definitely struggle. Having said that. Um, the where they are dangerous will be on the transitions and those sort of quick counter attacks. I think that's where they'll come into their own, especially with with Brozier up top. Um, but I mean, I've already predicted that Italy will finish fourth in the group, so I do fancy Albania to finish third in this group. Um, I think you like you said. I think the likes against Spain. I think they will they will struggle. Um, I do fancy them getting something from somewhere in that group um i'm not saying it's going to be italy but uh, i think against one of those teams they could cause a little bit of a an upset shall we say so i i fancy them to finish third in that group okay yeah no, most of their goals have been from open play not actually from set pieces uh, so you're right i think against a sluggish aging italy side or in fact even aging Argue some of the players in Croatia. There's a there's an argument for an upset, although I think this is where we all differ slightly. I think they will be at the bottom of the pile of the group. Yeah, and to be fair, I think that's where the majority will will predict. To be honest, I think if it if it works out the way it should, they should you know finish bottom, and I I think majority will probably agree with you on that one. Well, see if uh, Silvino and his team can 
quell those fears from the Albanian uh, fans, I guess. But they've, they've done so well to qualify, as you said, top of the group. Uh, right, so we're moving on to a listener question. Brilliant, we haven't done that for a little while, have we? So we have not, and it's from a little while ago, but we are we're getting there. So it's about English youth players. Are English youth players being unfairly kept out of Premier League squads by expensive foreign players slash imports? Yeah, very tough uh, question to answer. I mean, I suppose it's it's a question of to what extent does has the Premier League changed? Is this affecting the England side? And does this impact the academies, which are actually costly at producing homegrown talent? How do you want to dissect that one? Yeah, um, so I mean, I guess I'll start with my opinion and then I'll go into a, a little bit more. And I, I mean, I could, and I'll go and try and go into a sort of bit of both sides as well, actually, on this. Um, but my general opinion on this is, yes, I think English youth players are being kept out Premier League squads for expensive talent. And and just to pick out a few, I guess, specific circumstances where this has happened. Um, so first one on my list is Jane Sancho, coming initially from the Manchester City Academy. Um, I think it got maybe a few minutes um maybe in like a League Cup kind of situation maybe with them um, and has had to go off elsewhere to, and then went to Dortmund. And I'm actually with Jane Sancho. I'm going to even say, even going to Man United, I would say he's been kept out by foreign expensive talent. You know, they brought in almost £100 million worth of Anthony, who you could argue has kept him out of that squad, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think Anthony is an absolutely awful player. <laughs> I think, and they've got some younger players, although not English, in sort of Ahmed Diallo, um, I think it's Pelestri in there, who have come out of their sort of academy and they're not being given the chances. And yet you've got Anthony on there spinning round in circles with no end product and scores like he's just won the World Cup against Newport <laughs> in the FA Cup. Um, so that, that's that's one situation. I think similarly with Man City, the likes of Cole Palmer. I know he's gone to Chelsea and he is he is playing, but I think from a Man City point of view, that's another young English talent that's not being played because you know they've brought in Jeremy Doku instead, um, or back um, a couple of scenes ago, you could maybe argue with Foden or and potentially others around sort of Mares being in the squads kind of thing. I think Man City are potentially slightly better in terms of you've got the likes of Oscar Bob maybe coming through the, the ranks and, and Rico Lewis. But I think, you know, it's not an abundance of players, I wouldn't say. Um, and another one I've picked up actually is Dominic Solanke, who was originally at Liverpool. He's obviously been sold and he's now performing at, at Bournemouth and scoring a fair few goals. So I think... And in terms of stats, because these are obviously all sort of very high-profile um, high players and, and clubs where this has all happened, but, you know, Chelsea have sold 39 youth products 
uh, I'm not sure, I can't remember exactly what years this was, and they've made £285 million worth of income based on that. And Man City have made £320 million on, of, or they've received sort of £320 million worth of, of their sort of youth talent. And you sort of think to the likes of James Trafford, which has just gone to Burnley, who never even got any game time at all at Man City. So I think there's a very strong argument to say that actually, yeah, there's a lot of expensive talent coming in that's keeping them out. On the other hand, I've got some circumstances where there are clubs which are maybe, shall we say, slightly more open, I think, to playing youth and sort of English young talent. I think Crystal Palace are quite good at doing it. I don't think necessarily from their own academy. I think they tend, interesting, they tend to buy from, say, like a championship club for the likes of Eze, who came from QPR, um, Gway, who was actually a, a Chelsea product. Um, and they've just recently, this transfer window, bought a midfielder from Blackburn called Wharton, who I think's only like 20. And I think they tend to rely on sort of developing young talent from in terms of that step up from the championship. Um, I actually think Liverpool are a little bit better as well in terms of think of um, Trent, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, and recently uh, Bradley, who put in a man of the match performance against Chelsea. Um, and then I think you've I think the big. The big place for English talent now is actually the championship. And I mean, I've got first-hand experience with Sunderland who are adapting that model when you've got the likes of Jack Clark, um, Dan Neal, Joe Bellingham, all sort of teenage, young, early 20s, all getting regular game time and full seasons at championship level. So my opinion is, yes, they are being... Um, unfairly kept out but I think young players now have to look at different opportunities to develop themselves I think you look at the likes of Jude Bellingham and Jane Sancho they haven't gone through I guess the conventional route they've gone out to the German leagues and got sort of regular Europe not just high uh, top league European football but also like Champions League football Um, and so I think there's different avenues now which young players now have to look and exploit to, to develop themselves. I mean, that's just my my opinion. I'm not sure if you share a, a similar view or whether actually you think at the moment it is quite positive in the Premier League in terms of English youth players. Such a tricky one. Yeah, the, I suppose one perspective is like how well is the England national side doing? And you could argue very, very well with you know, final of the Euros last time, essentially another route there again. And then semi-final in the World Cup uh, against France and push them to the limit. It's it could be argued, yeah, to be fair, people, you know, players have come through that need and are, are worthy of the talent, like Bukai Saka Foden. Uh, you know, Declan Rice and even the new players like Gwehi uh, and obviously like some of the goalkeeping talent that could push Pickford out one day like Pope, uh, Johnston for example so 
to one extent i'm thinking no because simply the performance of the national side has been exceptional um compared and i'm and actually intrigued to hear to see what what such the situation with the lioness is you know i guess probably less prevalent you've obviously got some aussies and you know your european players like alicia lemon <clears throat> there's but to be fair, it has grown significantly, hasn't it, since the 80s, over, what's it, 50%? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's continues to grow. Yeah, because they did sort of recently put in the, or was, well, I say recently, it was a good few years ago now, that I think within each squad they needed to list a certain amount of English players within the squad. I think that's probably what has helped with the England squad in terms of, I mean, there's a benchmark that teams have to sort of try and get to now within each season. However, I think my argument in terms of why I think they're still being unfairly kept out is I don't think clubs are doing enough to develop the rest. I think it's all well and good when you have a Phil Foden, a Harry Kane, a Bakayo Saka who sort of come through the ranks and, you know, they're good enough to to sort of play within the Arsenal team or whatever, but you look at Chelsea and, you know, they've sold so many youth products and yet they've just spent a billion pounds on other youth products. <laughs> and, it, and it's just like, well, why didn't you just, you know, get some coaches to try and develop what you already had? I mean, you look at some of the people that they did sell, sell um, sort of Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, um, Loftus-Cheek, and I think they're even willing to sell like Conor Gallagher in transfer windows and stuff. So, like, this is all players like Loftus-Cheek and Gallagher have had amazing seasons at Crystal Palace when they've gone and had regular game time. It's like, so, you know, I feel, I feel like these big clubs, they have the talent, they have these really great setups within within their squads or their, their teams. Uh, I mean, especially Man City now, you sort of see how they're set up and, you know, the money they're making. It's just like, surely you could... I mean, I know it's all about instant success these days and, you know, these huge huge sort of prize pots and stuff, which is probably why they do spend all this money on sort of the ready-made product. But it it is just ruthlessly harsh, I think, on young English players that are coming through there and they're not perhaps getting given the chance. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you're referring to the kind of regulation that 17 non-homegrown players, maximum so eight is the homegrown population. Uh, you mentioned Palace. That's a good example of actually where it's paid off. Like Wambasaka was a 50 million signing, which helped fund the academy for for years, hasn't it? And obviously, that's producing more future homegrown talent. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like when you see examples like Phillips, uh, you mentioned Cole Palmer. You know, folks having to go elsewhere for the opportunity. Uh, and also, you could argue even someone like Bellingham, if he, you know, maybe not now, but once he, when he was deciding to leave Dortmund, do you? If he was at Liverpool, he probably wouldn't be playing as much minutes as he is at Real Madrid. So yeah, I, it's a really tricky one. I mean, you kind of look at his experience that he had at Dortmund, and I mean, you just see you know, Dortmund were just so willing 
to give him time on the pitch in the Champions League. And like, I mean, he wasn't playing full games. Like they would sort of sub him, or they'd bring him on sometimes. And, and then obviously the the season after, when he became such a important part, he he obviously did play and got some really important goals against Man City. But I just and they obviously they had Bellingham and Sancho and Haaland, who are were all very very young, and they were just willing to allow them to have that experience in in such a well the biggest competition you could argue in the world against you know the best players in the world and yeah i think that's that's i think is a difference i mean apart from a handful of clubs i can't imagine chelsea um giving sort of if they have an up and an up and coming talent coming through the ranks would they actually be willing to give them that kind of experience i don't think they are personally um, I would probably argue the same now with Manchester United. Um, you know, they've got some players. I mean, Ahmed Diallo didn't even get off the bench against Newport County or whatever. It's like, well, if he's not going to play against Newport County, he's not going to be playing in the... How are they going to sort of trust him to come on in a in a big sort of Premier League game kind of thing? Um, and then you've got, uh, yeah, Anthony... Yeah, I just think he's absolutely useless. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's a, I think things are sort of working slightly differently now for English players. I think at the top end of the Premier League, the academy is almost like a part of the business. They kind of, they use that to almost fund the the big the big money signings, and you'll then get the English players go to a club like say Sunland or Blackburn Blackburn or Middlesbrough and then they'll they'll learn their craft there and then all of a sudden a Premier League side will go, Oh yeah, Jack Clark he's doing really well in the championship. We'll then buy him for like twenty, thirty million. And she's like <laughs> Well he's like, Well he was at Tottenham and Leeds before he's at Sunland and he he wasn't getting the getting the game time or the chance to, to prove his worth. Actually there's there's not enough conversion from the championship really. Except obviously the the kind of switching three t three or six teams that go up and down regularly, who is actually signed a Jack Clark into a top six team, you know? Yeah, and I yeah I think you're right. He won't get he won't get a six top team move. I think, but I think what you're find you're finding is now that the bottom half of the Premier League, because maybe apart from teams like Nottingham Forest and Everton, who have spent big chunks of money. I think teams like Palace, Brentford, well, and the the three that have come up, Burnley, Luton, Sheffield United, will all be looking at players at who are performing well in the Championship and in, uh, probably in maybe the top half of the Championship because they can't afford those real big expensive players that that will sort of keep them in the Premier League. They're having to now dip into Championship players that are performing well, or perhaps a little bit younger, and have that potential. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's slightly yeah, it's slightly evolving. I think. Yeah, so I think I agree with it. So in terms of that, I think my concluding comment on this is, for me, I don't see them stopping English talent flourishing because of the, the national team but then 
it's almost it's a strange an analogy it's almost like the darts where you kind of have an elite 30 players 20 or 30 players who thrive and everything get all the treatment or publicity the sponsorship deals that go along with it and then you have this almost um, pyramid below which is struggling so you just look at the players who are stuck in the championship like kyle walker peters chris Ensu, somerville Kin and Dewsbury Hall, and with some of the relics of the latter years, unfortunately, I don't want to call Jamie Vardy or Patrick Bamford that, but they kind of are. You know, they, they could be good potential. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Somerville is arguably probably the best player in in the championship at the moment. It's like, I mean, if he was given a chance at say, like a, let's just say a top six side, like a United. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be as good as, well, currently in there at the moment, like Rashford. But if you gave him, say, a season playing in Champions League football and playing within a, you know, a high-performance squad, I mean, you never know. Like, he, he's got the potential and, like, he's obviously a great player. And similarly to Jack, like, say, for, for Jack Clark, if... You know, if he's given an opportunity, say, in an Arsenal side, you know, he could very well do the business. I mean, I know they've got a very good player in, in Martinelli, and actually he has come through their academy, but I just think there needs to be more players like that or that sort of situation happening where, you know, Arsenal's next Martinelli. So actually, just let's give one of their promising academy players a go. And, you know, if it doesn't work out after a season or two, then, then fair enough. Yeah, you need to you probably switch it up. But I don't think, apart from, say, the the elite or the, the few that do make it, I don't think enough players are being given that chance. Okay, so with that in mind, then, what would you do to remedy it? For example, would you have a minimum quota of under-21s you get in in a certain year, minimum championship quota? academy quota as we said what do you think the Premier League should be doing to address the imbalance um, I mean to be honest I don't think anything will, will actually happen but um, I think what they've probably got in place will stick in terms of what the current quota is I think it's more of just a debate around actually you see all these teams spending millions and millions of pounds so, or you spend so much money on your blooming academies it's like why don't you just develop your own players? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not too sure there is really a remedy um, unless sort of a club... I mean, but it would be good to see a club take a, a slightly different stance in terms of like a model and be like, actually, we're going to focus on really sort of developing our up-and-coming... I mean, Brighton are doing it to some extent. They're a good, They're a good sort of team to sort of potentially benchmark it they're always coming up with these new stars of the game it seems like and and we see that with um the likes of Casado, um Cucurella. i mean i know they probably weren't strictly academy players they've come from other other teams but i guess they've sort of had some sort of development at, at brighton um yeah i think it's just more of a a model thing that it would just be nice to see some clubs take that take that stance. I think. Yeah, because that Chelsea obviously the biggest 
obvious one. I mean, I mean, they used to have a show was on Sky Two or Sky One. We were sort of teenagers, let's say, <laughs> and it was about the era Abramovich Mourinho took over, and you thought, what on earth is the point of this? They're never ever going to get a shot in. So obviously, it turned out Mason Mount probably, and what's the only one, Conor Gallagher. It, like you said, it's been used as a business. So I think for me, I would, I would probably increase the quota of homegrown by one or two. You obviously can't revolutionise this because you end up with a silly situation where they're selling like crazy just to buy, uh, you know, whoever's left in the Sunrise team. No offence, Joe Bellingham. Example. I mean, that'd be a good standout name signing. It's actually superb, but yeah, I'd probably increase that quota slightly. But then there needs to be a bit more of an incentive to do that versus these eight year contracts worth 100 plus million that seem to have these weird breaks in them. <laughs> Chelsea being the obvious one. Yeah, I'm sure it's all uh, loopholes to get through past financial fair play and all that. Yeah, um, So weird enough, we're agreeing, we're disagreeing on this one, but we sort of have a, an agreement on the remedy to it, I think, in a in extent, but we don't expect anything to change imminently, despite Gareth Southgate. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why he cares so much anymore. I mean, this might be his last season. It's got an amazing squad, slightly enhanced, and uh, maybe, or maybe he does care about the future. He could be put in some ambassadorial role after the Euros. Yeah, this is this has to be the time. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be criminal if we we don't get something out of this tournament. It really, is we've kind of looked at a couple of big nations already, and we've kind of analysed their squads and. I don't think that, you know, they're there for the beaten, a lot of these major teams. I mean, there's one team in particular that we will cover um, at some point, which, you know, could put a spanner in the works for England, joint favourites. But, um, yeah, this is a tournament that we have to go in with a huge amount of confidence. I know we'll go in, we'll go through that in, in future episodes, but, um, yeah, massive opportunity. I agree. Massive opportunity. I'll definitely cover. All right, folks, uh, thanks for joining uh, this episode of the Two Cents Footy Podcast. We'll be coming back soon with more kind of England-based content in the run-up to the Euros and more listener questions. All right, thanks. See you soon.